attention, please. The show starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, go. Hi, everyone. Happy Friday. My name is Jay Love, and welcome to Turning a Moment into a Movement. I come here every Friday, along with our guest panel, our guests and panel members, to discuss wrongful convictions. Um, the Justice for Gerard movement um, was birthed when my son Gerard was wrongfully incarcerated for a crime that he didn't do, he had no knowledge of. Um, uh, he was sentenced to two to 15 years in prison, innocent, and, um, he's home now and, um, he suffers from severe Crohn's disease and he's trying to get his health back in order as he uh, navigates being back home for prison for a crime he didn't do. Um, I also, if you want to know more about his story, just go to um, change.org, Gerard, and you can hear more about Gerard's story. But that, but because of Gerard, it inspired me to do this, turning a moment into a movement. Myself and my panel, we come on and we talk about wrongful convictions, um, um, anything that has to do with injustice. That's what we talk about here every Friday. And we're working on, you know, moving forward to uh, as we educate, as we advocate, we organize. So thank you for joining us. I'm going to bring in our guests. Uh, well, not our guests, but our panel first before I bring in our guests. Introduce them. They'll let you know what it is that they do. So let's start with Reverend Tia. Hey. Well, hello there. Good evening, everyone. I'm so, so happy to be here today. And uh, of course, my name is Tia Littlejohn, Reverend Tia. And uh, I am right now and always, always centered on being who God has created me to be. And I bring that with me wherever I go. I'm a minister over at Transforming Love Community, where Reverend Shahira is our pastor. And transformation is the key to everything. Yes. Everything. And so when you talk about wrongful convictions, when you talk about this, the current system that we have in place, and I believe right now that this system is the way it is because we have allowed people to dictate who we are. Mm -hmm. And not only do we listen to it, but we have allowed many, to, many of our children to suffer because of it, because we didn't make it take a stand. And even those who did take a stand many times still suffered the consequences of doing so. So we know now that reform is necessary. 
transformation is necessary. We can no longer stand by and allow injustice to occur. So I'm excited to be here. I, I currently, um, I, I am with many, a couple of task force on social justice. Uh, I am also helping with uh, Flint, with uh, Bishop Bernadette Jefferson and her council when it comes to the water. I am also working on my doctorate and uh, <laughs> before I go on sabbatical at some point <laughs> to finish up, but <laughs> that's not going to be soon. That's not going to be soon. <laughs> and I um, have been over 20 years in mental health with behavioral health um, in many, many different facets and former director of Empowered Living Human Services for, for um, what, 15 years. Oh, so, wow. yeah, so I am happy to be here, happy, happy to bring here. some expertise, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and hopefully, uh, not hopefully, I'm knowing that change is now. Yes, absolutely, Reverend Yeah. So let's break on. Hi, Hi Attorney Hickelman. How are you? Sounds like you got something else. Uh, uh, can you hear me? I can hear I can you and something else. I, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what that amazing. <laughs> what, what? Some kind of feedback or something? But go ahead and tell us who you are. And no, I just, I, I can't understand that. I test the system, and. Um, I apologize. You know, if you'll allow me, let me just do it through my through my smartphone instead of my laptop. Is that possible? Okay. Oh, thank you. All right. <laughs> Hi, Trisha. <laughs> Trisha, turn your mic on. <laughs> Good, my mic was no. <laughs> How are you, ladies, doing this evening? We're good. That's good. Well, my name is Trisha Duckworth. I'm the executive director and founder of Survivor Speak, um, social worker by profession, but the field is kind of getting on my nerves right now. So you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but I am a social worker as well, um, and. I'm happy to be here, not necessarily happy about the topic, right, that we're talking about because I'm just tired of it. I don't know if anybody else is tired. I'm tired. We see injustice everywhere. And once you remove your rose-colored glasses, you used to see it. You see the dynamics, you see the structures, you see how they're put together. <clears throat> and it's just, it's very disheartening. However, there's always hope because we believe that the tide is turning, that there's a shift that is taking place and that people are awakening. See, that's the hope because when we come together and when we get sick enough, we will keep standing for change. And you get your blows and you get, you, 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 you get knocked down, but you get yourself back up and you keep on fighting. This is not going to change unless we continue the fight. This is not going to change unless we stand together as one, right? Mm -hmm. And really, and, and not just black, not just white, all of us standing together as one, uplifting what we know has been happening 
to our people. So I'm so grateful again to be here with you ladies. Jay, again, we thank you so much for even just starting this platform because it's necessary to continue this conversation and to keep the conversation going. Because if we don't keep the conversation going, it'll die down and then it'll be like that. This, just that, that, what do they call it? A phase or a trend. This ain't no trend. This mm -hmm. ain't no moment. This is a movement. Mm -hmm. And we ask every, no, 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 no. We don't ask you. We demand you to get up off your seat of do nothing and get busy. We can't do it by ourselves. The only thing that's missing from this fight is you. And we're here ready to embrace you all with open arms and so we can fight this fight together. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Trisha. I see. Hey, Allie. <laughs> Your mic is muted. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, how y'all doing? Hi. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Glad to be here. Let everybody know what it is that you do, Allie. Yes. Uh, my name is Alexandria. I work in the mental health field. I'm a community activist in the metro area, also with Representative Kyra Bowden's Advisory Council. And I'm really glad to be continuing this movement, you know, keeping up. You know, keeping it in people's ears, keeping it out there, um, you know, because it it has to keep going. So glad to be here. I'm glad you guys saying that because I was thinking about that early. Like we have to keep people engaged. We don't want people to go back to sleep. <laughs> we got to stay engaged and we got to keep these stories going and we got to keep having these conversations until we are pour out into the streets and demand change. So I see it. Tony Hugo Mac is back. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it, well, well, you know, you know, you know, Jay Love, you've asked uh what do people do? Well, I tell you what I do. I perpetually battle technology, you see, you see, uh, <laughs> which seems determined, you know, to thwart me at every moment. But like Trisha said, we're not going to let this die down. And if I got to use uh, a tin can and a string, I'm going to be on this broadcast. Okay. I'm going to be on this broadcast. So I, I, I know you can hear me now, but I'm going to follow that yes. up with the famous phrase, how you like me now. Okay. So, <laughs> So, so, so here we are. Uh, who I am, uh, Hugo Mack, uh, attorney at law, uh, brought back from hell to be here today, uh, to be able to stand up as a voice for the voiceless, as a face for the faceless. You know, I attribute everything that's happened good in my life uh, unashamedly through my relationship with God and Jesus Christ, you see. And what, what's happened with me is no different than what's happened to people throughout history. I understand what it's like to pay a debt that is not owed, you know, but rather than just coming back and, and living my life and say, well, that was then, this is now, I've got other people that were left back in the penitentiary that are counting on my help. And, you know, and, and, and for all the people out there listening who may be naysayers that, well, you know, they're up in there because they did it and you know, ain't nobody's fault but their own. Say that till it's somebody in your family, okay? Say that until it's it's them. Because the reality of it is, there is no perfect system. And the criminal justice system in the United States, especially when it comes to black people, is far from perfect, far from perfect. And when you say, well, weren't they convicted beyond a reasonable doubt? Beyond a reasonable doubt is whatever you think it is. 
And too many times in my career as an attorney, I find jurors get back there and it's like they're having a retaping of the Oprah show. OK, you know, you know, somebody's got an opinion. They think this. They read this. And the next thing you know, it's a it's a group thing. Well, yeah, if you all say he guilty, I don't know if he really is or not, but all y'all can't be wrong. So let me let me just go on and do that. So my purpose, one of the things I believe God brought me back from uh, hell and restored my law license is to continue to be on that battlefield and continue to confront these judges and these prosecutors and these police officers. Newsflash for the people who don't know, those people are very, very cliquish, all right? And I think we've made progress in Washtenaw County, uh, not as much as I'd like to see, but Washtenaw County is kind of like an outlier. I just came from a hearing in Monroe County today. Police, prosecutor, judge, it's like they go to the same social club, you know, you know, hang out, you know? And so me being in that environment, I feel like a raisin in a bowl of milk. So for me, it's one of those things where I'm always going to continue to fight to the best of my ability. The 75 women, disadvantaged women that are on my caseload now, largely pro bono, I'm proud to be there with them. Those are largely women of color. You know, my late mother is a woman of color, a black woman. You know, there are outstanding black women on this broadcast right now. So anyway, so that's who I am, uh, doing the best I can to fight the good fight every day for justice and hold police, prosecutors, and judges accountable. So that's uh, that's where I am. And hmaclaw.com is uh, Jay Love always likes to say, if you need to reach me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> www.hmaclaw.com, attorney Hugo. That's Mack. your hookup. <laughs> yeah. That's your hookup. <laughs> that's your hookup. Get in contact with attorney Hugo Matt. All right, thank you, attorney Hugo Matt. Now we're gonna bring on our guests. Hello. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Good evening. <laughs> you're not a get. You you like part of the family now. <laughs> I and it feels good. I tell you, it it it, it feels good. <laughs> so, for those who never heard of you, introduce yourself and tell everyone what it is that you do. I'm Abdul Hakim. Most people know me as Roberto. I'm an activist in the Detroit area. I'm a lifelong Detroiter, and I work in the legal profession as a paralegal. I do primarily civil appeals, um, and I do some criminal appeals on my own time. Um, if the case is enough to stir me to action, and I get involved, and I enjoy what I'm doing. I get rewards other, other than financial rewards. Academic and experience uh, also counts, and I, I love the work I do. Um, like, one of the things Trisha Trisha said uh, when she pumped up the uh, tonight's event is that we do take some knots, but we get back up, dust our knees off, and we keep running. So you lose some and you win some, but it never um, losing doesn't uh, make me uh, give up. I just learn from you. Learn when you lose and you win. But I um, that's my background, and I enjoy what I'm doing. Thank you. So I'm glad that you're here because we have a, a topic as we um, every day um, hear about some kind of corruption and um, injustice going on um, within our police departments. Our topic is police behavior matters. And we want to, you know, really get into that. When we look at stuff like this, uh, 
we have the people who are supposed to be um, checking out and making sure other police do what they're supposed to be doing. Um, are also corrupt themselves. So um, when we talk about accountability and behavior, what is it that we, how do we measure this within our, you know, communities of policing? Anybody? <laughs> well, we need good leadership. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I, I had mixed feelings when we had Chief Craig. I thought he started off in terms of accountability with the ethics unit, the internal affairs unit. Um, he was getting rid of some bad officers, but there were some other things he was doing that caused me concern. But with this new police chief, I don't know much about him, but the stories recently in the news about the internal affairs officer himself being involved in some shady conduct, it sounds like we're going back instead of forward to the days where you know, the public trust is being eroded again. And it's, it's very damaging when you have an internal affairs chief, his name is coming up in, um, his name has come up. And, and, and when, when the fox watching the hen house, when the fox is dirty, the whole house falls. And it's, so I hope they, they clean, this new chief takes this by the, by the horns and clean up. And what I mean by clean up, you know what? Get rid of the bad officers in internal affairs also. Right. But well, how can the pot call the kettle black? <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah. Well, how can somebody come in and just fall in line or in suit with what's going on? When is somebody going to come in and say, hey, I know it's a problem. Everybody knows it's a problem. It's not, it doesn't take rocket science, right? The new guy, he knows it's a problem. Who's going to stand and usher in that level of accountability that we all need to see? And I say it's us, right? We cannot wait for them to do their jobs. Clearly, they will not do that. But if we keep applying pressure from the outside and they get it on the inside, then maybe we can see and get some work done. But other than that, it's just going to be that distrust that my brother was talking about. I, I don't even see it as that we don't trust again. We've never trusted, like right? I mean, we know what you stand for. You were slave catchers, and then you morphed into so many other things and corruption and misconduct. But who's going to take a stand against it is the picture. It, it needs to be uh it need to be independent civilian oversight. That's the only way. You know, corruption, we keep seeing different things happen and tampering with evidence and conduct and just so many different things. It needs to be the people there. And this is not a new phenomenon. I mean, there's been forms of oversight since the 90s. You can you can look all the way back to then. There's national organizations working on civilian oversight projects around the country. It's just places. For me, I feel like Michigan is a little slow to to, to take in action. I do. And being that we are a smooth state, you know, I understand why that is. But I need us to catch up. I need us to catch up. Colorado is doing some great things. Minneapolis is doing some great things. It's so many places that's that's being creative. I'm seeing people give out vouchers instead of tickets for having your light out, your head light out with faulty equipment, like vouchers to go get it fixed. People are taking action to, to like help people instead of, you know, just incarcerate and find people more that can't even afford it. 
Um, yeah, I, I just, it, it's time for independent oversight. And it's time to accept the fact that they can't do it all. You can't be the solution and the problem. Where, mm. where do you see that work anywhere? That's never worked. So it's not going to start now. Yes. And I like that giving out vouchers. If a person can't afford to get their headlight fixed, you think they can afford the ticket? So the ticket creates the, the spiral effect of going through the um, criminal justice system because now you got a ticket and now you can't pay that ticket. So then you in for, you know, your license. It just keeps going. So, yeah, I, I really dig that idea with giving people vouchers and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. Um, well, yeah, you, you know, I was going to say, too, that I'm sorry, Attorney Mac. Um, that, uh, you know, the thing about it is that, like Ali said, we're behind and, and we're behind because we're choosing to be behind. I'm not going to give them an excuse anymore that, that they're behind because, because they're just unfortunate. No, we're behind because you're choosing to be behind, to be behind. It's a choice. It's a choice. They don't get an excuse. They can't say they didn't know. There's been studies, all kinds of reconciliation tactics. And the thing about it is that in, in the city or in most cities, in many cities, they criminalize a tail a taillight being out. How is that criminal? How is that criminal? And so then they get upset when, when we say we need to reform or we need to abolish it and start all over again. But the fact is, every time we want to just do a little bit, but we just want to just put a Band-Aid on it. We want to put a Band-Aid on a virus. That's what's, that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. We're putting a Band-Aid on something that it's, it's, that they're bleeding. We're bleeding uncontrollably and we're putting a Band-Aid on it. We need surgery, but we're putting a Band-Aid on it. We, we actually need a whole nother leg, a whole new leg, but we're going to put a Band-Aid on it. We, I'm tired of the Band-Aid. Okay, so what needs to happen is that we need to to redo the whole system because you're promoting people and putting people in place, and the same thing keeps going on. Then you wonder, well, how is this person corrupt? Because the whole thing is corrupt. Right, right. And I wanted to I wanted to add this also. You know, they've got an election coming up next week in Detroit. Okay, for mayor and, 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 and city council. Now, all the predictions, which I happen to believe, by the way, show it's going to be extremely low turnout, maybe maybe 15%. Okay. Now, the thing of it is that I think particularly as Black people, we need to understand, and, and Brown, Indigenous peoples also, all right, are the things that we allow to happen, that we allow to happen. Now, I understand about the measures to make voting harder and, and the systemic racism, you know, uh, throughout the system. I understand that. But I do know this. Dr. King, when they organized the Montgomery bus boycott, they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have the Internet. They didn't have any of those things. But what they had was an overwhelming desire to win. And mm -hmm. what I'm saying is, all of this starts, or a lot of it starts, with the people that you allow to get elected in the office. Now, of the two people that are running, the mayor and, 
and Mr. Adams, I'm not sure. Well, first of all, they've never debated. So, but I'm not sure I've heard anybody address comprehensively the exact things we're talking about. Maybe, maybe they have. I put it this way: Mike Duggan, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hear it. So what I'm saying is, you know, Duggan is the one who installed the chief of police. All right, you know, the chief of police is is Duggan's man or woman. Okay, so mm -hmm. what I'm saying is. When we in the African-American and the indigenous brown folks community, when we just go by default, you know, we make excuses for not voting. All right. Because there was a time in this country where people would rather die than not be able to vote. OK. And the, and the bottom line is, and I think I just have to be honest about my own community. We've got we've gotten lazy. We've gotten complacent. We have. We have. And and, and politicians know that. So they don't have to cater to us because we don't make them cater to us. You see what I'm saying? We don't make them cater to us. And if we don't make them cater to us, you're going to have a mayor elected. He's going to be dealing with these other people, other issues that put money in their pocket or they campaign or, you know, push their issues. But yes, wh where are we? Where are we? Somewhere in the back. You know, it's one thing to be in the back. It's another thing to be in the back and in the shadows. You can't even mm -hmm. see us. You can't even see us. So what I'm saying is, uh, and, and you know, I've, I've been criticized for this, but I think in our own community, we've got to start having respect for ourselves, uh, respect for our women, respect for our neighborhoods, and not let people come in, police, and ride roughshod over us. But we cannot allow that negative, that, that vile, that uh, woman abusing, drug selling, breaking into people's house, culture to go on simply because the perpetrator is our skin color. Okay. We simply cannot allow that to happen. And, you know, I don't agree with everything that the fruit of Islam has, has always done, but I do agree with this. You take control of your neighborhood. And if you've got a negative element in that neighborhood, that's causing death and destruction to your people, that element is addressed and eliminated. Okay. You know, that element is addressed and, uh, and, you know, eliminated. So watch these elections, folks. Uh, watch them because they've got consequences beyond uh, what people could ever even think or realize. Oh, I need to jump in on that, Jay, real quick. I'm sorry. Uh -huh. <clears throat> because, I, I, you know, I totally respect you, uh, my brother, my, my good brother, right? But when I look at all of this, it, to me, it's, it's two-pronged, right? Because you've got disenfranchised Blacks and you have the Black elite. And when I think about the Black elite, yeah, very comfortable, right? Because that most of them have secured their own seats and they're good. But when I think about the, the disenfranchised community, I tell people, and I often say this all the time, nobody wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I'm just going to go rob somebody today. Oh, I just want to go and do this today. Measures, you know, of our community. These are how systemic measures due to poverty have forced us in these type of situations. Now, what you're saying is because there's always hope, we can clean ourselves up. I just like to come from more of a less of a victim blaming because even in our disenfranchised, impoverished communities, I look at them somewhat as victims or survivors because we build resilience where we are because we're a resilient people. And if you think that the foot of somebody is on your neck, you're just going to stay there. We've just got to come in and let the people know that 
you're unstoppable. You can do what you want to do. It has to be an uplifting. It has to be an empowerment, but it has to come from the proper place because not only have racist individuals failed our people, some of us have failed our people as well because we have the knowledge and we did not turn around and give that to those of us that do not. And there are people that don't have, they just don't have the knowledge. Isn't it an excuse? No. I like to call it dynamics behind how we are like we are, but we don't have to stay that way is what you're saying. We don't have to stay that way, but we've got to figure out a way to come in with an approach that doesn't accuse people who have already been downtrodden and blamed. I think another thing too is to think about is, um, you know, when you are disenfranchised in a vulnerable state, because you're forced to try to Try to make do with what you got. You've been given this environment. You didn't choose it. You've been given it because of how America is set up. Now, because of giving it, being given that environment, you may not be as anxious to go vote because you're thinking about what you have to do to get by each day. You know, then there's being, there's voter depress, uh, suppression happening, that too. And part of it, once we get, once we are able to get through to each other, about why voting is important, um, then we can start to talk about how voting really means, you know, like we're voting to change lives. Our lives are on the ballot. Um, if voter suppression has happened, you're being attacked. Your rights are being attacked and you're being attacked. We can start to look at it like that once we are past, once people are past trying to survive. And that's fine, you know, to be on that survival mode. Uh, because that, you know, the world has just given us these circumstances or given certain people those circumstances. But we have to work together to uh, get past just surviving and get to want to live. Ramatia, you look like. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I like that, you know, to get to where we want to live. Because right now, the truth of the matter is many people are living afraid and living afraid is not living at all. You know, it's almost you're in, people are in a state of paralysis right now and being in a state of paralysis. You know, how do I make a decision in this state? How do I get to a state of being free in my mind? Because people aren't just free when they go to prison. Mentally, people are not free. Right. And they're not even in prison. They're, they're in bondage to, to a system. They're in bondage to to a, a way of life. And, and so they don't feel any type of freedom, you know, and especially if you have somebody who is wrongfully in, convicted and they're serving time. So yeah, we there's, there's many layers that we have to realize, first of all, acknowledge that they exist and work together as a community. How do we do that? Reaching out. You know, reach out just very simple. And because we're on this platform to educate, a lot of times there are people are waiting for somebody else to do it. And then it doesn't get done. You can reach out where you are. And many people know somebody who has somebody who is serving time and they're not supposed to be there. And then what are you going to do? No one is coming to save us, Trisha said. We got to save ourselves. And, and then uh, we have someone online who said the lesser 
Right now, we're working with the lesser of two evils when we go to vote. And voting that way, she said, it's not working anymore. Who said that? Charity. Charity did. Adua? Mm -hmm. I think in addition to, you know, being a lifelong Detroiter and I live in the city, I love the city, I love the people I live with. I, I agree with everything that the, the speakers have said. And uh, in addition to being disenfranchised, which I see it and I feel it, I don't think people wake up deciding to be poor. It's a, it, it's a, it was, it's a curse at birth for the African-American community. It is. The opportunities are, are very few. The, the oppression is real. The other thing I think is that divide and conquer has won. There's so much hate, unnecessary hate, but you would be surprised what collective efforts can do to make the community stronger. If we just embrace each other and help one another, lift the brother up instead of kicking him down. Mm-hmm. What happened to the days when you would see an old woman carrying all of her groceries and young men would just instinctively, hey, can I help you take your groceries home? I don't, you don't see that no more. Or getting up for a, a senior citizen or disabled person on the bus. It just, it shocks me. It is. So it, a lot of this, it's gone. It's gone. So it, I, what I'm saying is we just need to embrace each other more and we could overcome a lot of obstacles by help pulling each other up instead of kicking each other down. And that's not to be picking or being demeaning. I see it and I live it. And I don't know, I guess I should do more uh, instead of just talking about it. What I'm, I was thinking as you all were talking, what can I do to change it? Um, what can we all do to change it? Right. The, but change is good. We, we, there, there's a lot we can do collectively because we can't wait on our oppressors to come in and save us. That's true. <laughs> right. That's right. Change charts. Look, change starts with us. It does. We have to. Each person had to make a diff, a decision that they want to do something different. That they want something different. It starts with you first, and then it it spreads out. You know, so we have to take responsibility for change. Instead, like Trisha said, waiting for somebody to come to save you. Nobody's coming. No. <laughs> yeah. Nobody is coming. We it could be, be talking to neighbors, man. Like I, I've had, you know, here in Southfield, I remember going to the gym one time and, it, and the guy at the front desk was saying he was reading something about Detroit news and saw my name and then started telling me how he was previously incarcerated. And I had no idea, you know, he's just was the nicest guy that just is always there. And we always just have this small talk. And then he just started saying how we do need resources, how it was hard when he got out of jail, just finding a job, getting, getting back to life as normal and how he had so much pressure on him because he is a black man and, and he would, he's supposed to provide like, that, that's, you know, how he was thinking, because that's the standard set that the male was supposed to provide. Um, so he was just saying how tough that was and, and just talking to me. And right there, I built a connection with a stranger. Like, it, it's just talking to each other and 
trying to get each other familiar with issues and how you all are connected between each other, like how we're all connected, how all these issues really affect all of us. Mm-hmm. It's really about just community building and conversation. Right. We can't- and a lot of it has to do with economic racism. And what I mean by that, if you, if we all grew up in the day when Detroit was industrially strong, right? It was a union strong city. The union was born here in Michigan. My stepfather, who was African-American, was a UAW uh, union member. He worked for the Chrysler plant in Detroit. I, it's been systemic in a, in a sense that with the union busting who were comprised predominantly of African-Americans back in the 70s and 80s, so we had a strong economic base. Everybody had jobs. You could walk into a plant and you got a, good, you got a job that day or within the next day. Those days are gone, right? The industry, those jobs are not coming back. So it's now all, it's, it's all these high tech jobs. But I, what I, the point I'm making is, it's also economic racism. And that's part of the disenfranchising. When, when the union base was weakened and they started busting these unions here in Detroit, I'm talking about mostly, and, the, and they, they, they started, when they signed that NAFTA agreement and all those factory jobs went where? Overseas to Canada and Mexico, who were impacted? African-American factory workers. Detroit's unemployment, what happened? No surprise, went sky high. And it's been steadily high, higher than the national level for decades. I think unemployment is now at 33% while the national average is 8%. So what does that tell you about a a city that is 80% African-American and has been that way for decades also? It has, whether intentional or not, it's been a systemic attack on us economically, judicially, every institu- every institution. You're right. You're right. I um even like cities like Flint, you know, they had um the GM plants and different plants there, and when that when those plants left what came property and crime <laughs> high yeah. crime so we have to look at these things we can't be so quick to take on the oppressor's mindset of how we need to um uh, work out solutions to our problems we have to, we have to get to the root also to these issues because if we don't get to the root we're going to continue to have these problems. And if we can't fix ourselves, then we can't get these other institutions together because we are, aren't together. So when we're talking about police behavior uh, and how it affects it, the behavior matters, we look at all the wrongful convictions and the other exonerees that are coming home and then a lot of them have one thing in common. Uh, a lot of them are either corrupt police, uh, corruption within the prosecutor office, um, jailhouse snitches. And so we look at things like this, 85 complaints. I mean, this is, we we ain't even talking about stuff that happened long ago. We're just talking about stuff was happened within these few months police officers riding a stolen car, ex-police officer who was retired linked to wrongful convictions, 
troubled police officer, police knocking people out. And we look at our what's going on with um, our wrongful conviction community. There it is right there. You know, it, those behaviors create um, wrongful arrests. Wrongful <laughs> arrests leads to wrongful incarceration. So when we're talking about, you know, leadership and accountability, and even in our own community, these kind of things breaks the trust with these institutions. So, mm -hmm. Attorney Hugo Matt, go ahead. Well, and the, the thing of it is, I want to, I want to, I want to clarify something here. Every day, and I thank God for the opportunity that I'm in court. My job is to see that the system, which is already slanted against brown, black, indigenous peoples, is not even more so pronounced and slanted, okay? So it's like trying to keep the enemies from, from breaching a wall, you know what I'm saying? Almost like, almost like an Alamo, okay? You know? And so that's, that's one of my jobs. But another one of my jobs being involved in the community is strengthening the community and people who look like me. And the way we do that is we go back and we try to make our community better with self-respect. Uh, you know, uh, young black girls respecting themselves are not there for the amusement of, of, of men just to get affection. So, you know, there's a lot of harm that's been done systemically through racism, systemic racism, to to the black community, and there's a pathology we have to overcome. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is, it's a twofold, I think, uh, mission, if you will, or ministry from me, being in the courtroom trying to protect the people largely from my community, from a systemic racism, but also trying to encourage and be an example in my own humble way for people in my community to respect yourself. Love and respect yourself first, you know, and who you are and be prideful of who you are, you know, and, and take pride in your community and don't be what other people say you are. You know, I, I heard a, a televangelist by the name of Kenneth Copeland say one time, when you holler poor boy, I ain't coming. Okay, so he's not answering to anything but what he wants to be called. You see what I'm saying? So that's that's my little battlefield area that... Uh, that that I'm 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 trying to work in. Okay. Yeah, I think that's 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 very important. Um, you know, I, I get that's just the social worker in me too. I'm always looking past the surface, right? You know, and um when you mentioned even about the young girls doing some of the things that they do, I think about where are their fathers, you know what I'm saying? Like um who, who's impressing or not impressing these these young minds and these young um, women so that they know who they are. That's the that's the key right there, brother. Is knowing who we are. We don't know who we are. We've had our history just stripped from us. That's and right. if we were to learn who we really were, let me tell you something. I did an ancestry DNA. Now, first of all, I was mad as hell because I had 13,800 matches. And so I got real <laughs> mad because I said the slave master was real busy around there in those parts, you know? <laughs> but after that, I started to look at 
bits and pieces of where my family came from. And one of it was like, it was like uh, 1750. And it talked about how we would use um, hymns and singing spirituals so that we could fight, get our ways to freedom. And, and, and I equated it to BLM 1750, baby. Now here I am, BLM 2021, right? And so, you know, I became more emboldened and I could, I could take more pride in the work that we're doing because I said, I'm standing on the shoulders of my ancestors who fought this, fought, this fight long before I even ever got here. And we're still fighting and that's horrible, right? That we're still fighting, but we got to do it. We got to do just that that's right. small thing in knowing that piece of my hit, my history, my DNA, it emboldened me and it gave me so much power. And I, I would just love it. I'm always thinking about calling ancestry DNA and see if they'll partner with us and give the black community tests so that we can see where we've come from. Right. Because it would just empower people to know that would be a great start. We acting like this because we don't know our true virtue. We don't know yeah. our true value. And like you said, we're living at what somebody else thinks of us and, and, and has tried to label us with. And we're so much greater than that. And I long for the day that we can teach history. I'm so tired of this critical race uh, theory crap, you know, because it is just getting on my nerves. They think, oh, we don't want to hurt the little white children. But you thinking it about it's not just about that. It's about learning our history, learning our legacy. And we wasn't slaves first. Let me just say that. We weren't slaves first. We got a whole history before we even ever came to, excuse me, not came, because we didn't, well, you know, we was forced here. Before we were forced <laughs> into this country, we had a huge history. That's what I want to know. I want to know what my, I'm 29% Nigerian. My sister Joga said, oh, that's why your hair is so nappy. But I'm 29% <laughs> Nigerian. 20% Cameroon um, and, and Congo and Western Bantu family, right? Like knowing all of that is something that is going to be important to us and give us what we need to, and the power that we need to move forward as one. That'll stop all this backbiting and all of the things that we do, you know, as a people mm -hmm. that they've done to us in slavery and turned us against each other. If we know the rich history that we have of togetherness, maybe we can get back to that. That's right. Yep. Amen. That's right. That's yes. right. Amen. No. <laughs> I, I was gonna say. Uh, you know, uh, let me say this one thing, Allie. <laughs> what you saying that you said just triggered me because when I was going through everything with Gerard, I was also um, we was in the pandemic, and my family was doing online um, family get-togethers. And we were um, tracing our family heritage. And so, you know, we all figured out that we came from um, um, uh, where we came from and um, how we, I just took that, you know, and say, okay, if my great, great grandfather, you know, Booker T. Peoples, that was his name, if he could survive slavery, and all the things that he went through, I can, you know, call on these ancestors every night, get mm -hmm. strength, direct them to protect Gerard. You know, that was just how I just, um, that was my mindset mm -hmm. as I was going, you know, I was praying, I was calling on the ancestors, I was burning, I was utilizing all of those traditions and also understanding my history empowered me more to understand that my kids don't deserve to be here. 
Um, he didn't do anything. And I'm going to keep on talking about it, whether people agree with me or not, whether people understand how wrongful convictions happen, whether people understand that you can be uh, a person that a wrongful conviction can happen to because it happens to anybody. There is no criteria. You know, we kind of single mind our thoughts and um, think, well, well, they young, black males, hanging out, pants, sagging, hoodie. No, anybody can be a victim of a wrongful conviction. Those things don't, um, yes, we can look at those things, but that's not it. You could just be walking down the street like my son was, going to the store, and next thing you know, somebody's accusing you for something, and you're in prison. Like Devontae Sanford, 14 years old, ends up in prison, innocent. So um, we have to empower ourselves. And you are right about understanding who you are because that right there gives you so much. It gives you a foundation once you know who you are. And you can't like go back to sleep to this foolishness anymore. You know, you're like woke and you just like <laughs> beyond all this crazy stuff. You know, okay, go ahead, Ali. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I feel you. I feel all of that because I'm right here with you. Like, <laughs> that's why it's so much power in reading and researching. And, and I, I cannot advocate enough for research. I feel like me doing the research that I've done is how I've come to be the person that I am today. And when I think about knowing who you are as a person and knowing your culture, you know, I think about the the rich qualities and the, um, you know, the power in that. What stereotypes we're born out of, that was taken out of looking at our culture and things that we do as black people or any other culture, like there's stereotypes in each, in each, for each racial and ethnic group. That was born out of looking at their culture and trying to flip it into something and make it ugly. When you think about um, concepts of time, you know, that's associated with culture. There's something called a European concept of time. There's research shown that says, you know, it's looked at as more linear um, for European culture. And it's looked at um, in terms of building connections and kinship when it comes to black culture and, you know, different uh, parts of Africa. It's, it's not the same. It's about kinship. So knowing where you come from is so important because you can't, like that's not going away once you know once you know it sticks with you forever and you know why you operate the way you do in this country once you know where that comes from right and once yeah. you know where you come from you're not gonna just sit silent <laughs> and accept you know crap because you know you're deserving a better and when people you know when we have these conversations about reform and um other we abolition and you know, when we have these conversations and people are looking at us like, great, no, because we know that we deserve better, you know, and we're not going to just sit here and just keep taking, you know, this um, racism and biases and all this stuff that, you know, you guys, well, you guys, where they come to work with and, you know, run these institutions that's still oppressing people in 2021. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you know, the thing about it is, we don't accept it because we've learned to change the narrative. Yes. And we change the narrative for ourselves first. You have to change the narrative that you bought into. 
And sometimes individually and then collectively, you have to look at what did we say yes to? What did we buy into? And then stop it. Stop that thought. You know, and we can tell where your priorities are based upon where your money goes. So don't get it twisted. When we, it, it takes self-reflection is what is coming out of my mouth. Does that line up? Is that in alignment to my lifestyle? Mm -hmm. You know, am, am I lying? Is life important? Are other people important? If you have a company and you're saying out of your mouth, if you are an official and you say out of your mouth, people are important. I love the community. I'm here for the community. I'm here to serve. But your actions dictate otherwise you have lied not told a tale because my grandmother wouldn't allow us to say that lie word but you have lied and it's time for us to wake up and and stop giving people an excuse for these erroneous habits it's a habitual way of being and thinking and even if they don't know it's wrong, it's wrong. And some of them actually do know it's wrong, but we got to stop making excuses. But first, be responsible and accountable for yourself. Change the narrative. We don't have to buy into, look, I'm little John from birth, <laughs> Blackfoot. My great grandmother was Blackfoot and my grandfather, they originally came out of uh, Northern Ethiopia, present day Eritrea. Go back. When you know the root, go back, get the real story and stop accepting the stories that people have told you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Adua. I'm enjoying this and um, I have to give you a lot, you are a little bit of my history. My father is from Puerto Rico and my mother, she was a coal miner's daughter from West Virginia. And my father in Puerto Rico, I learned later in, in, later in life, the Caribbean, Puerto Rico, Cuba, Dominican Republic, all have West African influence. And you, it, it, the vibe, uh, it's, it just feels so good. And, and it feels good for me to know I have a part of that history on my father's side. I give my father more credit than my mother. No, no offense to my mother because she was a white woman, <laughs> but I, I have been able to identify with the struggle of the African-American community. And I'm proud to say I do have that background from my father, on my father's side in Puerto Rico. Um, and so I, I just love the uh, vibe that we're having here. And it just um, uh, being able to identify with the struggles, with the progress, and, and, and share ideas of how we can overcome. We shall overcome one day, right? And how we can overcome again, collectively, just embracing each other and lifting each other up, doing things for each other. We can be, be strong. Yeah. There's power in numbers. Yeah. There's power. And, and that. The things that make us different make us all important. Yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? It makes us all important because this little earth is home for all of us. We have we, we have no choice in that. And it just, makes us all one. <laughs> it makes us all one. Everybody, you know, I mean, I, I, I caught it 
let me tell you something. I came, we, we grew, we, we moved to Detroit right after the rebellion in 67. And again, if you can imagine back then when the police force was predominantly white, a white woman living with a black man and, and three little white boys that we were considered at that time, <laughs> we caught hell from the community and the police department. They beat my parents one time at a road stop, put them in the hospital. We were harassed constantly by the police, but not just the police. We were resented also by the community because back then it wasn't common to see mixed, mar mixed marriages. But as I grew older, I realized people are not born racist. So I didn't even hate the African-American community for the experience I was put through. I didn't. And miraculously, I didn't grow to hate all police. But what I do hate is police brutality. And from that experience, I carried it with me for the rest of my life. And I think that made me be more tolerant of others. And to, to just, re, you know, just reach out and we are a community. We can't, keep, we can't have borders, invisible borders either. We've got to come together. And in this wrongful conviction movement, it is even more important. And let me say something about the exonerees that I really like, what I see them doing. They hit the ground running. They rolled their sleeves up. They have been investing in the community. They defeated the naysayers who thought, oh, they'll commit a crime again. Well, they didn't commit the crime when they, they went to prison for in the first place. Hello. Mm -hmm. But when you look at that, what they've done in the short time that they've been out here, it's, it's admirable. It, it's, it's so complimentary. And I don't think that they get enough praise for that, not even for me. But yes. it's good. It's good to see that they are doing, they're doing a lot of community outreach, a lot of resettlement efforts for parolees, you know, buying up these homes. Their intentions are good. And it, 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 it's, it's, it's admirable, it really is. Yes, because again, we can't wait on, you know, we've been waiting for somebody to save you. You're going to be waiting. Yes, you're going to be waiting. <laughs> and, and, and we can't keep on giving accolades to people um, that's not doing their job. So, you know, I love that the Zotaries are doing what they're doing. But um, Shawana says something. So, and I had to make a banner for this. At the rally, she said, the person who holds you captured cannot be your hero. Mm. So no. we have to, you know, I am so glad that they're doing what they're doing because uh, sometimes we can get confused by, you know, people coming home and thinking that um, things have changed, but there's still people going in under the same, you know, thing, you know, there's still the same system. It's still, you know, for all of those that's coming out, they're pushing the same number right back in under the same thing. And so what we, we that's why we're here because we want to educate everybody so much about how important it is to change this system, how we cannot keep sitting back you know, not voting or waiting um, 
for somebody else to do it. We have to activate the change. And it takes us knowing who we are and empowering ourselves and knowing our history and all of that to make us a stronger group of activists and act and uh, advocates for change. That is that has to be our foundation. Mm-hmm. That's true. And can I can I say this one thing, J Love? Go ahead. The the problem is actually getting worse and not better, okay? Because what we're seeing now, particularly with this last presidency, is the 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 reemergence mm-hmm. of that white systemic nativism is really what it is. In other words, we're the we're we're the real natives of this country. Uh, these other people are others. They're foreigners. They're uh, they're mud people. They're swamp people. You know, whatever. And see, so what what's happening now is, is for example, you know, in the in the state of Michigan, the Democrats control neither the House nor the Senate. All mm-hmm. right. So what I'm saying is, with making it harder to vote, with redistricting in in certain states, it's getting harder to even elect proper representatives to in fact try to initiate change on a legislative level. That's not only on a federal level, but it's it's on a state level. You know, and so w- what's when I say it's it's getting harder because when we have individuals who get driven uh because of nativism, they're going to work hard to elect people who are going to perpetuate that nativism to keep them safe. Well, in large measure, those people are, are xenophobes, those people are sexist, those people are racist, okay? And so when those folks get elected because we don't have a, a tidal wave to, 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 to overcome that, then those are the people that are gonna be writing the laws that are gonna make it increasingly harder and harder and harder to get justice. But not only that in terms of a legislative effect, in terms of judges. Okay. Now, the reason that we have uh, some people that are being exonerated, you know, they're getting a rehearing or resentencing, what have you. Okay. And judges make determinations that this person has has gotten done wrong. There was a a man by the name of Reuben Hurricane Carter. All right. um, Who who went through tremendous hardship, paying a debt he never owed. But it was a federal judge who, in fact, set him free. And what I'm saying is when you've got someone, and I don't even want to say his name, the former president of of the United States, and you've got a Senate that is willing to confirm judges that he that he appoints, you're putting people in positions when a Hugo Mack or a or a you know Gerard or somebody comes in front of them with a habeas corpus saying, Oh hell no. (laughs) Not just no, hell no. Okay, uh, because that's their politic. That's that's where they come from. Okay, they're they're kowtowing to their boss. Okay, so when I say it's getting worse, it 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 is getting worse. But we've got to fight that much harder, I guess. Okay, mm-hmm. and and now just just like I see what's going on in Congress now, now is not the time for us to be asleep. 
now is the time to be on our congressman's behinds ever, mm -hmm. ever, ever, ever more, okay? And don't let this stuff go on autopilot, you know? Uh, and, uh, a plane on autopilot ultimately has one destination, the ground, okay? <laughs> so, what I'm, so what I'm telling you is, so what I'm telling you is, is that that's what I see, you know? And so I, I guess I'm saying I'm so encouraged by all of you. You know, I love all of you because you, you help re-energize me to get up and it, it, it takes something to confront some of these judges. These judges view these courtrooms as their own property. You come in there, you know, you know, you got to be mindful of them. They'll slap you with contempt. And a lot of lawyers just just don't have the courage to, to stand up and do that. Not that I'm so courageous, but having been to hell and back and, and being re, uh, redeemed by Jesus Christ, hell doesn't scare me as much now as it did before. <laughs> Oh, Tia, Reverend Tia. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, we got to be conscious, too, of the fact that what's behind and what regulates most, much of everything is the money. Mm -hmm. It is the economic factors and, and the lobbyists and that these big corporations pay big money to make sure their votes get counted. And yet the power is still with the people. Mm-hmm. The power is still with the people. And we have to remember that, that, that you are significant, that you, you are important. You are important <laughs> and you're important, especially right now. And so it's really doing your homework. Don't take my word. Do the homework. Yeah. Check out the check out your representatives. Do a report card. And I know we're going to be having report card time on here because it's time to, to I mean, just if they pass or fail, we don't even have to give A, B or C. But I would like to give like some people may deserve a C, but there's a lot of people that deserve an F. And they need to be fired, which means they need to be voted out of office. That's right. You know, and so we are important. We, we got it. We got this. Right. Yep. Right. Um, Trisha. Oh, man, this has just been burning in my heart for a very long time. So I'm going to say and I got to run because I got to jump on a seven o'clock meeting. But we were walking. OK, should I say this? I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> we were at this protest. Not a little more recently, and um, there just happened to be a church out there. And they was, oh, hallelujah. And we you, First of all, when I pulled up and I seen they were out there, I said, hey, did y'all know it was a rally over here? Oh, no, we've been doing this, you know, since this, the first, around the first October. All right. And now in my mind, I would have joined up with everybody else, but that's the first thing. All right. So we walked by and they was, oh, they really was calling out like they was born in the spirit. Well, let's get them demons out of y'all when we walked by. Like that was what they were doing. I could not believe it, right? So we walked down to our destination. So on the way back, this lovely man of God grabbed a microphone. And he said, y'all just need Jesus. And he kept on, y'all need us. <laughs> I grabbed my bullhorn. I said, we been had Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I said, y'all waiting on Jesus, and Jesus is waiting on you. Okay. And, and so I said that to say this. 
We can run, we can shout, we can cry, we can slobber around the whole doggone church if we want to. But when we get up or when we leave that place, we've got to get busy. We sitting around praying, oh Lord, please come down and, and and we wondering why our prayers are bouncing off heaven. It's because we were given every tool that we needed. We don't need anything else. Everything that we need was given to us before we even came to this earth. Our only job is to activate, activate and use every gift. So people be like, oh, you sing, you do this, you write. I will use everything that I have inside of me for justice. No stone unturned. And everybody else needs to do the same thing. I ain't nobody so special at all. Each and every one of us have a special gift. And you all said something else that was very important. We cry and fuss and complain so much about differences. Have you ever looked at a puzzle piece? A puzzle, every piece in there, every piece in that puzzle was different. But doggone it, put that thing together. You see the most beautiful picture you've ever seen in your life. So why can't we understand? Why can't we celebrate our differences? Ain't no why can't we? We've got to get to that. We've got to get to that, celebrate our differences, come together as one, and then open our hearts to one another. See, we so busy head to head, but we got to get heart to heart. And I'm going to keep saying that because until we get heart to heart, we're not going to care the way that we need to. This fight right here, we need to care. Yes. Because if we don't care, we'll walk away. We'll just say, forget it. I can't walk away. I can't forget it. I need a little break because I'm tired, but <laughs> I can't walk away and I can't quit. And I challenge you to do the same. It's time for us to awaken heart to heart. That's how we win. That was good, Trisha. Yes, Trisha. Because, <laughs> you know, a little bit, you know, we discuss this via Trisha sometimes, but religion has rocked some people to sleep. And, um, you know, they want to pray and, and pray is good, but prayer and faith requires action. Those are nouns. <laughs> and we have to, what are you doing to activate? What are you doing? You know, okay, we understand that everybody can't go to the protest, but we have emails, we have phones, we have Twitter, we have Facebook, we have all these platforms that we can utilize to engage other people. We don't just have to sit at home and say, oh, well, that don't, you know, it's not going to change because that is a lot of our attitude. It's not going to change. But we change. We know change can happen because of where we are today. We're not saying that there hasn't been any change, but we're a little bit behind especially when I'm, I'm on a feed with somebody from the UK talking about justice here in America, and they are like totally disgusted, you know, about a wrongful incarceration. And they're disgusted with our justice system. So if people outside of our country are disgusted, then when are we going to get disgusted about it? <laughs> you know, and that is so important because in studies, they show in the studies, they will say this behavior is, this type of behavior is only indicative to United States. That's sad. That is sad where a way of treating people is solely related 
to United States. And so, yeah, we, we can we can make these changes. We can make these changes, but we got to stop being afraid mm -hmm. and thinking that, oh, I might draw something to me. Mm. I might I might attract something to me that that's not going to be good if I get with these people. People are going to see me. I might not have as many followers. I'm not going to have as many followers. You might not. You might not, but you need to stand for something. You need to stand for something and stop being afraid. Is your God that small where God is not big enough to, to help you? Mm. You know, at some point we have to decide, if, are we going to walk in faith or are we going to walk in fear? But you can't do both at the same time. No, I'm not on this side because I want to fight, fight, fight. I'm on this. I'm walking this way because I am fearless in God, because I know my God, not because I'm afraid. Exactly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I know my dad used to tell me, my dad is a Baptist preacher, and he used to say, Janice, you can't worry and pray. You got to do the other one, one or the other. You canceling one out when you're doing the other. So if you're going to pray, you're going to pray. And then prayer opens you up to all kinds of answers. Worry just keeps you stuck in the problem. We have to move beyond the problem so we can get to the solution. But we can't get to the solution if we are just sitting back, sleeping, and it's only a few that's out here yelling. <laughs> that's why Trisha's so tired. <laughs> <laughs> She's so tired. She can't get no sleep. <laughs> she needs some of us to come on up <laughs> and help us yell. You know, <laughs> the more we come together, the more we join together, the more they cannot deny. They can't deny what we all see. If we're like saying, oh, I'm going to pray for you. Cause I got that a lot, you know. People was telling me I'm pray for pray for me. I'm thinking we all need to pray because this happened to my kid. It can happen to yours, you know. This happened to you know charity husband. This can happen to your husband. You know, it's not nothing just you know just for me. It's for all of us. When I come on here on Fridays, it's not just for Gerard. Gerard was the what got it started. But it's for everybody because it affects everybody. If it doesn't affect you personally, guess what? It's going to affect you financially because we're paying these taxes. We're paying these lawsuits. We're paying uh, what, how much it costs to incarcerate somebody now, like 40000 or something a year, 50000 Wow, 50000 That's college tuition. <laughs> mm -hmm. And actually, it's, uh, there's more people in prison than there is uh, college students. So we're financing this um, mass incarceration, over-incarceration, wrongful convictions. We are financing that. So you're looking at yourself. You're helping it happen when you don't say nothing. Um, Adua. 
I think I want to add that what I've seen what elected officials doing is they don't respond so much to what happens at the ballot. Once they're in the office, they seem to think that they're cloaked with some sort of protection or immunity, right? Mm -hmm. When you look at the Black Lives Matter movement and the wrongful conviction movement and all these other uh, social justice movements, that's what they're responding to. They respond because not, we're powerful in numbers. When you hit the ground running and protesting, they don't want that. And I'm talking about either these elected officials, okay? So they respond to activism. They respond to advocacy. Sure, you got the right to vote, but we can't take this attitude that, oh, I'm going to go vote and it ends there. You've got to be engaged if you want change. Mm -hmm. The Quran teaches us that Allah will not change the condition of the people until they change themselves. What that means is basically what you all have been saying. You can pray and prayer is good and, and, and you, get, you, do get, you do get rewards for your prayer. But God wants you to take some responsibility, right? For your own state and do and do and do and make a change for for yourself what we what we've been talking about this evening is about change and what and how important it is for all of us individually and collectively to be a part of change for good so what i have been seeing is like it's like i said these politicians they respond to activism and that's why it is important to continue doing what we're doing yes uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you love. Did you, did you say something to me? Oh, yeah, I was going to let you go ahead. Did you have something to say? Well, let Tia go first because all of a sudden my, my volume has gotten really low. I don't know why. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tia, Tia, I know you're doing this, Tia. You want to have the spotlight. I know you're doing it. I didn't do it. <laughs> I did not do it. You know, um, I'm, I'm so, you know, uh, I'm blessed because of this right now moment and realizing the connection of all of us on the platform. Mm -hmm. And this is what it takes, you know, as we go out in the community that we look at each other and how, how are we connected? How do we connect? How are we one? Stop looking at differences. How are we the same? Because there's more things that are alike than different because we're human. Mm -hmm. We're human. And as we, um, as we get out here, you know, and connect with people and show empathy, and then see how can we assist one another. And then take a look. Take a look and see what do I need to change about myself? What are my, what are my priorities? Where's my money going? Some people have their monies going to corporations that are enslaving people through the penal system. And you don't even realize it. And so soon, you know, we're going to do some action things. I really want to have that list of corporations so we know people can know what to buy, what not to buy, right. you know, and, mm. and you have to be accountable. Today is now a time of accountability exactly. and, and you have to be accountable for yourself and for your family and for your community. Right. Like buying those Sealy messages. Right. <laughs> 
They make those mattresses. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Put those mattresses down. Go, don't get those Sealy mattresses. You know, yeah, we do have to be intentional with our spending. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that. You know, um, we have these conversations getting close to the holidays. And, you know, when we say hey. intention with our spending, you know, do you want to support corporations that's feeding mass incarceration? Is that what, you know, we have to also not be part of the problem. Because it, it, be, it could be done. We could be done with this. Really, we could be done with this by how we spend. Mm -hmm. And once we decided not to buy stuff, all of a sudden, there would be a wake up call. Yeah. And then they would be like, okay, we need to, we need to do things differently. Because it, right before our eyes, they took a law uh, for lobbying and changed it in 2002. Mm -hmm. And then you wonder why things have declined for the people. Because the lobbyists get paid. The people don't. Right. They get paid at our expense. We do the pain because we get taxed and everything. It's at our expense. We got to wake up. Right. Yeah. We have to invest more. And I think what the, if the African-American community is one of the biggest consumers in this country. Right? So yes. we spend a lot. We don't invest. We need to invest more. And back in the day, remember during the, during the birth of the civil rights movement, there were boycotts. Mm -hmm. a, lot of pe a lot of people don't want, don't want to boycott. But believe me, when you hit them in their pockets, and I'm talking about these, these big corporations and stuff, they respond. Again, they respond yes. to activism. They, but boycott. We want convenience. We don't want to give up. We don't want to make sacrifices. We think that Oh, we could, you know, I cast my vote, so I did my civic duty. Change is going to come. It's not going to come at the ballot. It's not going to come at the ballot. It's going to come when you start demanding change, when you start, when you become engaged and, and become an advocate for change. Boycotting is so powerful. We don't do that anymore like we used to. But there, it's, it, there's nothing wrong with bringing that back. But let's stop, let's break ourselves away from the attitude that we have to spend our way out of oppression and out of poverty. It will never work. It will never, you can't spend your way out of this. But if you think, if you just stop and think what, again, collectively, how we can invest in each other and, and if we can enfranchise ourselves, when you stop giving your money to your presser, <laughs> you know, to, to, to people who are doing business in your community, it, it will chase them away and you will start to, you will start to be, I guess, get more enfranchised. I, mean, I don't know how, I don't, I don't know if I'm saying it well, but we can't spend our way out of this. We, it hasn't worked and it will never work. You know, don't, that's another thing they have, they have uh, taught us, have, they have trained our behavior, if you will, that, you know, I got this big ticket item. I know you want it, come and get it. And we do it and we do it. Um, but we have to invest more. Our, we have to invest more, invest more than spend. I agree. And, and, and as we become more intentional with our, with ourselves, with our spending, with how people govern us, with how we demand more 
where I hold people accountable because accountability is the title of all of this stuff we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Accountability, holding people accountable, holding the police accountable, holding our mayors accountable, holding um, our educational system accountable, our medical um, community accountable. All of these systems that oppress our communities, holding them accountable, but the accountability also starts with us. It's like a mirror. You know, we do our part, we can reflect that back in action for others to do their part. And once people understand that you're not going to take it anymore, then change will happen. But as long as we're disconnected and trying to be separate and against each other, we can't organize to become, to get together. So, that, so again, that's why we come here on Fridays to educate, to agitate, <laughs> and to organize, to get us organized. So I want to um, thank you guys for joining me. Um, is there any last words you want to say, um, um, Mr. Adulo? Um, let's keep the let's keep the momentum going and. Um, uh, I, I, I love the vibe. I love the ideas that we're sharing back and forth. Um, I'm going to continue my advocacy both in, in the court and outside the courtroom where, where I can possibly, where, where I can. And um, we'll, I'll be in touch. <laughs> and uh, just, keep, just stay tuned. <laughs> right. Oh, we're going to have you back because, you know, you... <laughs> I was, a little bit more, I was a little bit more behaved today because I'm in the Starbucks in our office building and I don't want them to put me out of here. So I guess I, I said, I'm going to try to behave today. Okay. <laughs> Attorney Hugo back. Do you have well, something you want to leave? First, first of all, uh, brother, so, so good to see you again, man. So good to see you. Same here. Same here. And, and, and I'm, I'm hoping everybody can hear me. Okay. Uh, yeah. Once again, technology is confronting me, but I believe you can all hear me because I see some smiles and some nodding heads, and so that's good. That's good. Look here, I want to just close on with something, taking off what Reverend Tia said in terms of uh, being being fearless, you know. And and I'm I, I'm gonna tell you this. I'm gonna tell you this. It's gotten to the point in in my career, all right, where I I consider it an honor to be criticized and cussed out by the prosecutors. I consider it an honor. <laughs> I, I wear it as a badge of courage, of distinction. Told a judge that recently. You know, I wear their derision as a cloak of honor. And so, so, so for me, I like that. And so I guess up to the point where going in the courtroom fighting for justice, every one of my clients, I wanted to come out with a victory and be quoting the late Biggie Smalls. It was all a dream. And so for me, so for me, so for me, <laughs> that's where that's where I'm coming from. So, so you know, I love y'all and thank you for being and being with me. You know, I know y'all think I'm crazy, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's all it's all love. It's all love. So thank you and, and God bless y'all. <laughs> yes. So before you say something, Reverend I just want to invite everybody to pick up this book by attorney David Robinson. He's going to be here next week. And we're going to really dig into um, 
I see uh, you see a hero and I see a human being. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's going to talk about he's very familiar with the um, um, policing. He attorney Hugo Matt. He, mm -hmm. you know, he's very familiar. He used to be a Detroit police officer, and he's been an attorney for over thirty three years. He has won some big settlements in Detroit. Uh, he has worked on some very well known cases of uh, uh, police chases and um, um, death by um, in the um, Wayne County. Um, this tension center and all of that stuff, but we're gonna really get dig into you know police behavior and hiding behind the badge um, next week. Um, so I I want you guys to join us because um, this book that I'm reading it just motivated the conversation that we had today about all of, everything that we're talking about, Brevetia. Oh my goodness, <laughs> I can't wait. Uh, I just wanted to. Um... Say thank you, Jay. Thank you, Abdul and, and uh, Attorney Mac, uh, Trisha and Ali. I just love this platform. And uh, Abdul, Hakeem, you are you are now family. You are yeah. now family. <laughs> I wanted to tell you that. And before I go, I just want to admonish the people and let people know that, you know, we got to recognize that being innocent is not enough. That my own individual idea of me being innocent is not enough. And when I heard about J Love's story, I knew then that I didn't know what to do, but I knew I wanted to be there for her first. So how are you being and how are you being there when someone is has to has to go to trial, you know? And so this is what we have to do individually and then collectively knowing that there's a there's a cause then act act according to information that you have learned so I, i'm just so happy to be here knowing that we do have power and our time is now and guess what we were all born for this time yes and and take these conversations that first of all everyone that comes on this platform is a resource for you guys so you know connect with um, Mr. Adul Hakeem, Revitia, Little John, Trisha Duckworth, Ali Hughes, and of course, Attorney Hugo Matt. Connect with them. They can help you navigate whatever it is that you're going through. Um, I know when I was going through, I, I didn't know what to do, but I knew I had to do something. So I started writing and emailing people. Um, and then after a while, just like, hey, I got to start talking about it because, you know, I, it's, you know, it was too quiet for me. So <laughs> that's, you know, I just invite everyone to, you know, tap into us, tap into the guests um, and then tap into each other. Have these conversations at home with your family. First, you got to start there. Have these mm -hmm. conversations with your loved ones. And then branch it out because you have to have a foundation in order to, you know, do this kind of work and stand up and be powerful out here. So thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you next Friday, yeah. 6 o'clock. Same channel, same time. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Hakeem, if you want to join us, hey, let me know. You can come on with us at... Uh,
<laughs> cool to um with um attorney robinson all right you guys see you later love all you guys right. love you. Love you. Stay safe, everybody. <laughs>